live from Earth. It's Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter. I can pronounce my own name sometimes. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute in New York City. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we are talking about seeing behind a black hole. This show lives on listener questions, which will be by far the vast majority of this show. The show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets. Tuning in live from around the world, including but not limited to the great country of Ireland. Frankfurt, Germany, Rio de Janeiro, Casibas, Ohio, Howell, New Jersey, Wichita, Kansas, Yam Hill, Oregon. That's, if you wonder where the yams come from, that's it. San Juan, Puerto Rico, St. Bart's, Washington, D.C., Dunedin, New Zealand, Bristol, Indiana, Halifax, England, Greece, Idaho, Dubuque, Iowa, Groningen, the Netherlands, Kent, Washington. I've always wanted to visit Groningen, in the Netherlands. Is it a nice city? Let me know. I've always wanted to go. Because well, there's there's a big university there and, and some various uh, cosmology research is happening there. That's why. That's why I want to go to. Also, I'm, I'm sure they have great culture and food and uh, nightlife over there in Groningen, the Netherlands. Yeah, it's super global audience tonight. Hey, go to spaceradioshow.com for all the links. So you can be a space cadet. You can tune in live. We've already got a super chat here on YouTube from Cheese Launcher. Can you launch some cheese my way? That that work out for everyone way better than Blue Origins or Virgin Galactic. Let's launch some cheese into space. Why hasn't that happened yet? Why hasn't that happened? Anyway, the big news story this week, it just broke yesterday. Uh, We're seeing behind a black hole and it's cool. All right. What they were able to do is they, they're not literally taking pictures of black holes. The only picture of a black hole that we have is from the event horizon telescope. So what we have to do is infer like these objects that we're looking at are incredibly far away, usually just a a single pixel, like a single dot of light. And we're trying and we get various kinds of radiation from that little dot of light. We get some visible light, we get some infrared, we get some x-rays, and then we take a spectrum so we can see like how many of what kinds of wavelengths of light. And then we just see, we look for changes. We see what's happening, what's new, what's different. And what they were able to see with this new research was a flash of x-rays that comes from something that called the corona. Surrounding black holes, there's this, there's a super hot plasma because everything's falling in. And this super hot plasma can emit high energy radiation. This is all happening just outside the event horizon, the black hole. And they saw a flash of x-ray And then they saw the same flash again, but time delayed and looking a little different. And they saw this repeatedly and there was like a pattern in the flashes and then a pattern in the echoes. And what they realized they were seeing was x-rays coming from behind the black hole. Normally you can't see through things because, you know, solid objects. And also you can't see through black holes because, you know, they swallow all light. But black holes also bend space extremely. And so the light from behind the black hole, when the x-ray flashed in that direction, it went 
away from us like that light was sent in a direction a completely opposite us but then the incredible gravity of the black hole bent that path looped it around and shot it right into our telescope so we saw behind a black hole that's cool we kind of already did it's interesting that the, the I'm always fascinated by how news media treats astronomy news. We've kind of been seeing behind black holes with the Event Horizon Telescope. You know, that accretion disk went behind the black hole, but the extreme bending of light made a made a ring around the black hole that we could see. It was the exact same effect. I I don't know. Cheesy donuts. I'm not doing cheesy blue cheese origins. Okay. Okay, I'm on board with that. Oh, right here, we got a question. Infinite Monkey uh, is one of the space cadets is list is has a question right here. Are we living in a donut universe? So uh, props to me for breaking that story. One of my favorite things to do, I write articles for like space.com, Ars Technica, Live Science, Universe Today. And one of my favorite things is to dig into the archive. That's A-R-X-I-V.org. It is every research paper published in astronomy and physics. Seriously, everyone. Yeah, they go to the journals. They go like Nature and the Astrophysical Journal and the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, a favorite of mine. Uh, But then they also print or submit their submitted journal article to this thing called the preprint archive. And so it's all up there. And you can read every single article in physics and astronomy for free, arxiv.org. I go through the archive and I pick out really cool papers. And I saw this paper about the donut universe and I wrote an article about it and uh, it took off and lots of other news outlets paid attention to it, wrote their own articles about it. And so now, uh, now we're all curious about the donut universe. Here's what's going on with the donut universe idea. And I actually did some research in this direction way back in the day when I was an undergraduate student at Cal Poly State University. Uh, uh, our universe is flat. We can tell it's flat because we can look at the behavior of parallel lines. Uh, this is the geometric definition of flatness. Like I'm, I've got my desk here. If I draw two parallel lines over here and then I continue them, they're going to stay parallel. That's the definition of flat. Are we, as far as we can observe, our universe is flat or super duper, very nearly flat as far as we can tell. But, and so that's the geometry of the universe. It's not closed. It's not open. It's flat. It's not a sphere. It's not a beach ball. It's not a horse, horsey saddle. It is a flat piece of paper, but in three dimensions. So I think you follow me, but there's more to the story. There's more than geometry. There is topology. So if I were to take a flat piece of paper, you know what? I'm going to do it for, for the space cadets. Here's my show notes, you know, all of them. Uh, here's my flat piece of paper. Look, look, look. I'm going to draw right there. I'm working to pretend that I managed to successfully draw two parallel lines. I know those don't look very parallel, but we're going to pretend that they are and that, that I actually have somewhat decent artistic capabilities. Now... This is uh, this blows everyone. It blows my mind. I love this. I'm going to wrap this piece of paper in a cylinder like this. So I'm just going to close up the ends like this. Look at this. Look at those lines. Look at those lines. Look at those lines. They're still parallel, aren't they? If you want to like really get someone's attention at a cocktail party, if you need something to say to someone to break the ice, go up to them and say that cylinders are flat. <laughs> 
cylinders are flat. Cylinders are geometrically flat. Parallel lines stay parallel. That's it. But they are not topologically the same as a flat piece of paper. They're closed in one dimension. Uh, you can travel along the sh that side of the cylinder and you'd end up back where you started. So it could be that our universe, even though it's geometrically flat, it could be closed in one or more dimensions. By the way, Mobius strips and Klein bottles are also geometrically flat. My favorite flat space, three-dimensional space, is called Hunchvent space. Look it up if you're really bored tonight. But here's the deal. Our universe could be closed in one or more dimensions where it's flat, but you can go out in a rocket ship and travel for an incredibly long time and end up back where you started. If our universe were topologically closed, if it was closed in one dimension, like a cylinder or two dimensions, like the surface of a donut, a, a torus, or three dimensions, which would be uh, technically a hyper donut, I believe, a hyper torus, but I like the word hyper donut better. It could be closed in all three dimensions while being flat. And this would have some effects. And one of the effects that might happen is if you're looking in the early universe and you're looking at the cosmic microwave background, and the cosmic microwave background has all these bumps and wiggles in it. There are hot spots and cold spots, and there are big hot splotches and big cold splotches. Those splotches peter out at a certain scale. And we've known this for a long time, that when you look at the very biggest scales, there's no like splotchiness there, even though there probably should be. One possible explanation for why we're missing splotchies at such a big scale is because the universe is closed and you can't have splotches bigger than the wrapping of the universe. So this is one possible interpretation of the cosmic microwave background data. It's not the only interpretation of the data. There could be systematic issues with the instrument. It's actually really difficult to do measurements at those larger scales, et cetera, et cetera. There could just be you know, weird physics happening that we don't fully understand. Just There's all sorts of things, but it's one possible interpretation. It's a really fun interpretation. So I wrote up the article. Uh, do we live in a donut universe? I really, really hope so. But it, I want to be clear with all you space cadets, it would be a hyper donut that we live in, a three-dimensional donut. Whew. That's me. That's me. So um, we got more questions. We got, we got so many voicemails. Oh, my gosh. I've been so lackluster in the in the keeping up with the the voicemails, and there are so many great questions here. Have we listened to Ryan Bailey? Have we listened? Hyper Swiss cheese, don't get me started. Mm, don't make get me started. I have a hyper cheese over here that we're going to appreciate in, a, in just a little bit. Let's, let's hear what Ryan has to say. How is the pressure like it up there in space? Ooh. Or the ISS? Or the ISS. Okay, so uh, Ryan, great question. How's the pressure up there? Uh, do you mean psychological pressure? Or do you mean, you probably mean physical pressure? Because I imagine it's pretty stressful to be an astronaut. Apparently it's also pretty stressful to be an Olympic gymnast, as we've all learned. Uh, and, and it's not easy, either being an Olympic gymnast or being an astronaut. But the, but the pressure, their pressure is zero, or very nearly zero. It might as well be zero. You, if you step outside of a space station, you will die. Uh, but you won't die right away. You won't blow up, 
right? You won't blow up because your skin is really good at keeping your insides on the inside of you. That's, that's its job. So even if there's vacuum outside of you, you're going to, you're going to be intact. You are going to inflate a little. You're going to puff up a little. You're going to look a little bit like a a grotesque Michelin man. I mean, the Michelin man is already pretty grotesque, but a a living grotesque Michelin man. And it's just, it's going to, this is an effect called ebolism, which is different than an embolism. It's ebolism. You'll die, but not from the vacuum itself. You're going to die from lack of oxygen. There's no air in space. There's no air pressure. There's no oxygen. You're, you lose consciousness in a matter of seconds, and then you die in a matter of minutes. So that, that's – don't go to space. I mean, if you want to be – if you want to go to space, if you want to hitch a ride on Blue Origins or Virgin Galactic or SpaceX, if you want to do that, that whole space tourism thing, be my guest. I've, I was on TV a lot. Uh, the past couple weeks covering it for uh, NBC and the Weather Channel, talking about Virgin Galactic and Jeff Bezos and the future of human spaceflight. And honestly, in terms of human achievement, the billionaires going to space wasn't all that great because they're not really doing anything that we haven't done before. I mean, yeah, there's Richard Branson's idea of reusable rockets, which is to take an airplane and strap a rocket on the bottom of it and then take the airplane really, really high and then disconnect the rocket and let the rocket fly and then the rocket lands. I guess that's okay. It's it's, it's like not the most efficient approach. It's, it's only ever going to be good, really, for space tourism. Blue Origins is a little bit more traditional. It's a little rockety thing that goes straight up and then comes back down. All both of these flights were suborbital. They just popped up to space and then came back down. I don't know, but what both Blue Origins is doing with reusable rockets, SpaceX has been doing for years. Uh, I don't know, like great, a couple billionaires went into space. Good for them. Good for humanity? Question mark. Not exactly sure on this. Let's do another. Let's see what Shannon has to say. Now, usually I screen these voicemails. Like I listen to them ahead of time. And uh, and I make sure that like no one's swearing or saying really weird stuff. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Are you ready to ride this ride this rocket with me? Let's strap in, Jeff. If nothing is faster than the speed of light, could thought be the same as speed of light or maybe even faster because it's instantaneously thank you very yeah oh you're welcome shannon uh yeah very cool question it turns out your thoughts are not instantaneous like this little meat the electrified meat thing between your ears between all our ears is actually pretty slow it's like if something happens, if like a, when a light signal like enters your retina, by the time that that electrical signal goes to the brain, then there's a bunch of exchanges of sodium ions while you process that information and then you decide to act on it. And then those electrical signals move on to the rest of your limbs like that takes a significant amount of time, like like a, around a fifth of a second, a tenth to a fifth of a second, if I remember right. That's a typical human reaction time. Your thoughts are not instantaneous. Your thoughts take time. 
time to happen. And it's limited. It's, it's far slower than the speed of light because it's electrical signals moving through your nerves. It's sodium ions getting pushed around various membranes in and out of cells. It's, it's electrical discharges between your neurons. Uh, you're, you're, um, you know, some people think faster than others, I suppose, but it's not going to get faster than the speed of light is far, far, far slower. Let's do one more question. Shall we? These are fun. Who do we have? Who do we have? Jory. Let's do it. Since black holes are created by supernovas, Mm -hmm. what happens if a black hole collides with a star of similar mass that it had before the supernova? You know what? You know what, Jory? I'm going to tell you what happens. It's a disaster for everyone involved. There are these events. We have a great name for them. And by great, I mean really, really lame name for these events. They're called Tidal Disruption Events or TDEs. TDEs, Tidal Disruption Event. It's what happens when a black hole shreds apart something else. All right, because you can't shred apart a black hole. You're not tearing it apart. It's a singularity. It's a point of infinite density. It's right in the center. You're not doing anything with that. But a big old star with this big old gas ashes atmosphere you can rip that apart all you need is a lot of strong gravity so the what typically happens when uh when when this happens is a black hole encounters a star and uh it rips it apart literally like atom by atom rips apart that star the whole spaghettification thing happens the star turns into an accretion disk a super hot disk of plasma rotating at a good fraction of the speed of light we get jets we get booms we get ooze we get ahs we get fireworks we get the whole deal and it lights up on our sky and we have observed some tidal disruption events or what we believe to be tidal disruption events most of these events have been encounters between stars and supermassive black holes but stars encountering normal mass black holes it's pretty much going to be the same Uh, i don't i'm not aware of any confirmed observations of a tde with a stellar mass black hole but it certainly happens There you go. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Hey, folks, remember this show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. That's patreon.com slash p-m-s-u-t-t-e-r. It's my name. Well, P is Paul, M is Matthew, and then Sutter is like the rest. It's patreon.com. Seriously, you sign up, you do a couple bucks a month, that's it. And then I do this show, I do my other shows, I do all my other outreach work. Uh, I, I This is my living. This is what I do. Uh, I make, you know, Stony Brook and Flatiron don't pay me anything. I, I, I just get a desk there in an office. That, that's what I get. Uh, and this is what I do. This is what I'm passionate about. And you can help. You can also drop a super chat anytime. If you are a space cadet listening right now, you can hit a little button that says Super Chat, and then you can contribute to the well-being of this show. Now, the space cadets have asked a lot more questions. What do we got? Edward Hinton is asking, why is time a dimension rather than a force? It seems to me there is a force that causes entropy. Well, entropy, entropy, entropy is just a statistical thing. 
Entropy is just a statistical thing. The, the rise in entropy is just because, like, say you're, you've got a couple kids in a bedroom and you just let them do their thing. The next time you look, you're more likely to find a messy room than a clean room. Just through normal interactions, just through normal interactions, the interplay of the normal forces of nature, entropy increases, disorder increases. We've seen, we've noticed, and we've noticed this link for over 150 years that, oh, uh, we must go into our future. We, we can't go into our past. Time always goes forward. And entropy also increases. I wonder if these two concepts are related. That's pretty much as far as our thinking has taken us in 150 years. We haven't made a lot of progress in, in, in elucidating that or clarifying that. Uh, time is a dimension, as far as we understand it, in special and general relativity. They have equal footing with space. You can't think about space without thinking about time and vice versa. There's a unified fabric called space-time where time is treated as a dimension. It's, it's a little bit funny. Uh, it's, it has some special characteristics that the spatial dimensions do not, but otherwise equal footing. So there you go. Russell is asking, is there a star size between neutron and black hole where some light can escape but not all light? Uh, as far as we know, uh, no. Moving on. Wes is asking, seeing behind one due to gravitational lensing? Yes, exactly. The seeing behind the black hole is all gravitational lensing all the time. Cheese launcher, Blue Cheese Origins, does a black hole have a surface? I mean, yes and no. There is the event horizon, which we colloquially call the surface of the black hole. It's not like a thing. It's not like a big black void of a planet that you can approach with your rocket ship. If you were approaching the event horizon of a black hole, you wouldn't even know you were approaching the event horizon of a black hole. It just sort of happens. It's just a mathematical boundary. It's an imaginary line in space where if you were to turn around and try to leave, you couldn't. But the event horizon does mark the beginnings, the boundary of a black hole. And so that's why we call it the surface. There you go. Cerilio. Cerillo? Yeah, the donut. You've, what's that about? Oh, already answered that. Yvonne. What are your thoughts on the Boltzmann brain idea? Boltzmann brain. So here's this really far out concept. Let's fast forward the universe by like 10 to 100 years. Just whoop, there we go. What does it look like? All the stars are dead. All the galaxies are ripped apart. Universe is facing its heat death. The average temperature of the universe is dropping to absolute zero. The average spacing between particles is a, you know growing exponentially. And everything's cooling down. You just got fundamental particles. You've got radiation. That's all that's left. A Boltzmann brain is this concept that as long as there are temperature differences somewhere, and there's always going to be some sort of minuscule, ever vanishing, but still there temperature difference that you can get work done. If you can get work done, you can have thoughts in some vaguely defined way. And so you can think. And so the argument is, and this isn't the best argument in the world, um, 
what are the different ways to have consciousness? Well, one way is to have, you know, the electrified meat between your ears in this epoch of the universe when there's stars and planets and stuff. Or there's the Boltzmann brain concept, which is going to be possible when the universe is is much, much older. The time frame of having a Boltzmann brain is a lot longer than the time frame of having electrified meat. Electrified meat is only going to be possible for, I don't know, like 10, maybe 100 billion years, maybe a trillion years. I don't know. But then the Boltzmann brain thing can be like infinity years. And so the argument is, why aren't we already Boltzmann brains? If it's much more likely to be Boltzmann brains, then why aren't we Boltzmann brains? It's not the best argument to me because, you know, we're not Boltzmann brains. We don't know if Boltzmann brains would actually work. We don't know if consciousness can actually function in such an extended near heat death scenario of the universe. And just because it might be more likely, it doesn't make this kind of consciousness impossible. And so, okay, we just got lucky and we turned out we weren't Boltzmann brains. That's my thoughts on big giant brains at the end of the universe. Larry Beckham, can we get a spectrum and x-ray? You betcha. We can get x-ray spectra for sure. Do you ever dip your toe in a completely unrelated field of science for fun or secret passion projects or anything else? Certainly not for passion projects. I'll tell you what I'm nerdy about. I'm nerdy about dinosaurs. Love reading about dinosaurs. I love reading about evolutionary history, uh, the evolution of life on Earth and the diversity of life and how it arose, uh, human origins. I geek out majorly over evolutionary biology. I geek out majorly over history. Any kind of history, I, I listen to history. Pod, I don't listen to my own podcast. I mean, I lived it. I don't need to listen to it. I listen to, and I don't listen to other space or astronomy podcasts because I know how the story ends. Uh, but the history, I listen to history podcasts. I read history books. I, I nerd out. Like I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I see all my physics books and I, I see a bunch of history books. because you know, That's why I geek out over. I don't do any projects. I don't pretend to tell the historians or the evolutionary biologists how to do their job. I assume they're doing it better than I could. But it'd be fun. Like in, in a different life, I could see myself being like an archaeologist or like a, an evolutionary biologist or a historian. Except I'm like horrible with other languages. I speak English and bad English, uh, as those are my two options, and a bunch of programming languages, which is not really appropriate for um, you know understanding ancient Sumeria or anything. Thank you, Russell, for the super chat. Matthew Cunningham, how can we measure the curvature of the universe when we can't see the edge? This is confusing me. The universe is flat. As far as we know, it is infinitely big. And we can see the edge, or we can't see the edge, but we know the where the observable universe, our bubble is, there is much more universe beyond what we can see, and we'll never be able to see it. Robert Cox, do we deny a possibility of an eternal universe? Well, as far as we can tell, the universe did have a beginning, even though we don't fully understand that part it might live to infinity in the future we don't know there are these concepts of eternal inflation where like one universe just like pops into another universe and pops into another and just keeps going and going and going those are very very hypothetical it's hard to say it doesn't know if we'll ever be able to accumulate the evidence one way or the other alexis is saying what do you think about billionaires going to space go for it go for it 
Meanwhile, I'm going to stay right here on Earth and eat some cheese. Today's cheese, we got a repeat. Cheese so nice, we ate it twice. I'm very, I'm looking forward to this again. We've got formage. Formage. Get it? It's a joke. It's a pun in a label. And that's what makes it delicious. This is a Gouda. Thank you to my good friends at Dom's Cheese. That's D-O-M-S cheese.com. People, go to Dom's. Order from them. Order online. Get a delivery. Text them. Call them. They will They will mail cheese to you. I've, I've seen it done before. Formage. This is the joke. There's four cheese, four milks involved. Cow, goat, sheep, and buffalo. All mixed together. And in uh, Andreas, the owner of Dom's, he was explaining to me when I picked this up today. I love it. He always tells me great cheese stories. Uh, he was explaining that most cheesemakers do not like blending milks because it can get really funky really quickly. And so you, but you'll see like mixtures sometimes two milks, but four. But they found just the right brand. It's a lovely, lovely Gouda. I wish you could smell that. Ah, uh, this is imported from Holland. It is a Gouda. I see. Mm. Mm-hmm. You taste all four milks. It's lovely. Like, cause you, you, I mean, you get the sharpness, you get the nuttiness, you get the slightly sweet, you get the minerally, you get the lactic crystals. Mmm. There's a cheese party happening right here. There are four, there are four dairy animals invited. The cow, the goat, the sheep, and the buffalo. They came to this party, and they're not going to stop. Yeah, Majestic Potato. If you're lactose and... Oh, my gosh, that's a good cheese. That is a fun... That is a party cheese. That is a party cheese. I'm still feeling it. I'm, I'm going to eat that whole, that whole brick. I'll share some with my family. Don't worry, but... I'm also going to eat the vast majority of it. Folks, unfortunately, we're almost out of time. Thank you, Killigan. Always down for a cheese party. If you're down for a cheese party, get the formage. Because then, you know how you have like a cheese plate and you have like four different cheeses? And it's impossible to decide like which four am I going to put on the plate or what order am I going to eat them? Or am I the only one that thinks about it in that detailed of a fashion? Just get a formage. One cheese, four milks. It's like a whole cheese plate at once. Wow. Wow. (sighs) Unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter. This show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to keep the cheese train going. Thank you, Nancy Graziano, for wrangling the Space Cadets and producing this show. Catch the live stream most or some Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for all the links. And of course, thank you again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission. Where's this cheese? (laughs) 